Hey guys, I want to tell you a story um, before we get into Romans 8, verse 34b. <laughs> um, Gracie Van started, the first Sunday that we started was February the 10th of 1991. Um, really, the, the church, in terms of its corporate organization, came into being the last of December of 1990. We had our, um, our little legal things, ducks in a row, and, and uh, the name of the corporation was Hilarion. Uh, Hilarion is the Greek word, which means cheerful. And in 2 Corinthians 8, God loves a cheerful giver. Well, the Greek term there is Hilarion. And, and so we named the corporation um, Hilarion. So that was in late December. And then, then a bunch of people who were committed to start Gracie Van started working on this building over here on, um, what was the name? Murray Road. Murray Road, over the, uh, close to... Um, Memorial Park Cemetery Funeral Home across the street, back there in the back. If you've ever eaten at the stack deck, it's right down the street from there. So a bunch of us were tearing out walls and, and mudding and painting and yada, yada, yada. And, um, and a, a telephone call came through. Uh, it was from the Commercial Appeal. And the Commercial Appeal wanted to interview me about this church plant. Well, <laughs> I learned a very good lesson. Um, when it comes to being interviewed by the Commercial Appeal. And the lesson is, just say no. But I didn't say no at this juncture. I said yes. And that's why you, how you learn things, you know, you uh, experience. And um, it really wasn't that bad of an article. It really wasn't. Uh, you know, I had dreamed about uh, planting a church in this neighborhood. Exactly. I mean, in fact, if you'll take a county map and you'll look at the county map, I-40 goes this way and and um, 72 goes this way, and I wanted to be right in the middle of those two. Those, and that's exactly where we are, by God's kindness um, and his leadership, in this location. And I said something like that, and I said something about the, there not being a church out in that area. That, uh, and, and I said something about, um, do you know the term dinks? Do you know what a dink is? Dual income, no kids, D-I-N-K, dual income, no kids. And I used that term, dinks. Um, and, and the, um, and I used a couple other terms that were kind of like that. You know, they weren't, they weren't nothing profane, nothing bad, nothing awful. It was just, well, anyway, when the, when the, when the ad came out, or not the ad, the, the report, and it was like on page eight of section D, you know, I mean, it was way in the back and there it was next to the, you know, the commercial for Hull Dobbs and. It just not, you know, it had a picture of me in there, and, and there's this article at the top of the page, and it came out the Saturday before, so it had been February the 9th. So February the 9th, this article comes out, and we were going to have our first worship service the next day. And um, I can't tell you how devastating that article was to me and Susie. Um, now, if, if you th- think I'm kidding, my wife... She's sitting right there, if you'd like to ask her. Did not want to go to the mailbox to get the mail. Because it presented us as, and, and I think we've long outlived that, uh, that false start that I gave us. But it was, it was just awful. It was just, I mean, it wasn't bad. It was just, oh, they just want to go out there with a bunch of wealthy people and do their yada. Yeah, that, that was the impression that it made. It was just awful. I, you know, I, I just hated it, and I, I, I remember going over on Saturday, and some of the people of Gracie Band were setting up for the next Sunday, and, or the next day, and, and I mean, I, it, it just took the wind out of my sails. 
which I got a lot of wind in my sails, so I, you know, it's certainly a good thing to have that happen frequently. But um, I mean, it was just awful, and, and people would, you know, they didn't think it was awful. And people didn't really, they, they would clip it out and send it to us in the mail, you know, like people do, and you, and you pick it in the paper. And I thought, stop it, stop it. We don't want any more of these, and we're sorry that you read it. And, uh, and I have been asked to speak in Osceola, Arkansas, at a Presbyterian church up there, and I went up there, and they had the article up on a, on a cork board, and I thought, oh, this is awful. It was just terrible. Just terrible. And, and, you know, we outlived it and, and things have done okay. Here's my point. My brother and sister in Christ, there is something that's going on in our community that is absolutely grievous to the body of Christ. I haven't said anything. I haven't made a public statement because, I, you know, I, I had hoped that you know, most of it would be settled and people could move back to normalcy and things could go on. But the commercial appeal or whomever, whoever's at fault, I don't that is, to get the articles in the paper. But there have been serial articles, as you know, about um, a sister church right down the street from us. And um, it, has been, it has been far worse than I, I mean, I've known about this for months, guys, um, and, uh, you know, I know things, I don't know why I say this, but I, I know things that you don't even want to know. You just, you know, it, it would titillate. I mean, you would, ooh, you know, and we'd all sin, but you don't even want to know it. And, and I can tell you, um, there are going to be more articles. Promise. Um, I cannot imagine what this must be doing to people. Guys, um, I'm not looking for your sympathy, but the, the, the pastorate is not the easiest job in the world. I love what I do. I love where I get to do it. Yeah, you know, I just love it. But I mean, when things go bad, <laughs> woo! I mean, things can really get hard. I don't know whether you've ever been through a church fight before. I hope you haven't, but I bet you a lot of you have. And you know how ugly people got and the things that were said and the innuendos. And the, um, I cannot imagine, I mean, what the pastor and his wife must be going through right now. I'd be in a straitjacket. And my wife would have left me months ago. Um, she'd, she'd, have, she'd have found a place in southern Australia and changed her last name. Um, we can't, we can't, we, I, I just want you to know. If this ever happens at Grace Advantage, we can't stand it. We'll just go ahead and resign and get out of your way. We can't stand it. We're not that hard. We're not that tough. We're just not that tough. I just want you to know, I'm just not that tough. And I applaud that, that somebody hasn't just had a mental, emotional collapse. All of that said, I thought it would be good for us to spend a minute or two in prayer about our brothers and sisters down the street before we look at Romans 8. How about that? Let's pray. Our Father, we come first to confess our own sin. We are no more righteous. We are no less sinful than anything that we've heard or seen or been a part of. We have every potential to do just as ugly or worse. We make no claim at higher ground. We make no claim to be more spiritual, we are not. We are not, we are not, oh God. And we, 
we dread the idea that we would be, that we would enjoy somehow somebody else's pain. And I pray that you will forgive us, that there is within us the spirit of division, the spirit of party spirit, the spirit of wanting my own way. And I pray, Lord, that you will first hear the cries of guilty people in this room. Because we have just the same potential. We've been saved just by the same amount of blood. It is, it is our sin that took Christ to the cross as well as our brothers and sisters down the street. But having prayed for your forgiveness and your protection from that giving vent to our own sin, we want to pray tonight for our brothers and sisters who are in so much pain right now. I pray for the pastor and his staff who are besieged right now. And I pray that you will guard them from despair. I pray that you would lift them to a, um, to a place of encouragement and that you'll speak peace to their souls. I pray that somebody will come alongside and be able to help sort them out, help them sort out what they're facing. And Father, I pray for the congregation, the winners and the losers, and I pray that somehow you will enable them to set aside their, um, their differences and that the end result will be a greater, stronger church, something that we'll be able to see very shortly and that we'll be able to rejoice that once again all things have worked together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. We know that that will be true one day, Lord. We pray that it will come quickly. And I pray, Lord, that you will um, help us to be a part of the solution and not the problem and that you will help us to curb our, our appetites for gossip and that you will help us to muzzle our tongues. Father, um, the Lord Jesus is altogether lovely in our eyes. And there is nothing more beautiful than the church of Jesus Christ when the church of Jesus Christ is being the church of Jesus Christ. But there is nothing uglier when our sin gets played out in the newspaper. And I pray that you'll bring a stop to that and somehow um, the body of Christ will not be any further bruised than she already is. We too suffer, Lord. We don't suffer as grievously. We don't, um, we don't suffer the kind of egregious offense uh, that is there. But we are in the same body as they. And we suffer as well. And we pray that you will use us to bring encouragements where we can. And that Gracie Van will never have to experience the kind of ugly that is being tasted by so many. Lord, I pray that you will steer us around the traps that Satan will set for us. We are um, we're not discerning particularly, and we will walk into places where angels fear to tread. 
And I pray that you would prevent us from falling into the wiles and the web of the evil one. And I pray that you'll teach us what it means to yield to one another. To take joy in submitting. And to find our delight in walking humbly. We commit ourselves to that, Father. Thanking you once again for the shed blood of Jesus Christ for sinners. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, grab your Bibles and let's go back to Romans 8 and see how far we can go tonight. Romans 8. Um, I, I wanted you to know, uh, I mean, I want to remind you that um, the, the whole the context of Romans 8 is the Apostle Paul trying to communicate to God's people that they are safe. Um, you and I, any who have laid hold of the finished work of Jesus Christ by faith, as imperfect as that faith is, as imperfect as our repentance is, and indeed they are imperfect, anyone laying hold to that finished work of Christ is safe. And no one will bring any charge against God's elect, says verse 33. But then we come to verse 34, and there's almost the hint that, okay, well, I see that the Father is not going to condemn me, but what about the Son? And Paul answers in verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus he is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Let's take a look at that. We've looked at the kind of the first part of that, uh, where it says, who is to condemn? Is, is, is Christ Jesus a possibility? Could he might condemn us? No, no. He's the one who died. And we looked at the death of Jesus Christ um, last week. We talked about how blood covers the clamorings of the law and that the law, I mean, that the courtroom is, uh, that the judge and the lawgiver is the one who says they're justified and, uh, and the this, this Savior of his, the one that he provided, um, is the one who bore our penalty. But then the Apostle Paul goes on from there. In fact, he even says more than that. Um, the, the argue, his argument continues, and, and why? why? What more is there to say, Paul? Why, why go on? Why not just stop at that statement uh, that he is the one who died? He goes from there saying, more than that, who was raised? In terms of our assurance, in terms of our confidence, in terms of our safety, the resurrection is also a vital part of that. It's not simply enough to talk about he's died in our place. The resurrection is essential to our assurance as well. Why? Why do we need to include the res- our consideration of the resurrection when it comes to our assurance? How, why would the Apostle Paul say something like this? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. He says that in 1 Corinthians 15. So the resurrection, just like the atonement, is an important feature, an important part of the overall confidence that the Christian can have. But what part does it play? Why is the, why is the resurrection crucial? All right, let's, let's try to answer that question. Why is the resurrection crucial to our own assurance? That's what I'm going to try to address. Now, you need to notice in the text... Um, uh, more than that, who was raised. Now, that was is pretty important. It's important for this reason. 
He was raised. What does that imply? That implies that somebody else raised him. That is, that's a passive verb. That act of resurrection was performed on Jesus. So that introduces that there's another party involved in the resurrection. Who might that be? Oh, that would be um, throughout the Scriptures. Let me just read you one. This is in in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. It says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead? Who would that be? That would be the Father. That is, this resurrection thing was something that God did. God did the raising. Why? Well, the answer is, or the answer to that question is given to you in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. I'll read it. I'll read you 24 and 25. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead our, our Lord Jesus who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Gang, the resurrection is proof, it is a proclamation, it is a declaration on the part of the Father that that which the Son has done has indeed satisfied all of the terms of His justice. Did you get that? Jesus was raised by God the Father. And the, and the fact that the Father raised him is a declaration that all that the Son has accomplished is, is work enough. That is, it is satisfaction to all of the demands of God's judgment. Um, God is satisfied with the work of Christ. Um, all that he's accomplished is is satisfaction, and the Father states His satisfaction by raising the Son to new life. Gang, listen to me. If there was one sin still on Christ that was not paid for, Jesus stays in the grave. Because death is the punishment of sin. Do you you follow that? If there's one sin, you know, death is the punishment of sin. If there's one sin of his people that is not paid for by the Son of Man, Jesus has got to stay dead. But when the Father raises him, it is a declaration, a proclamation, a clear proclamation that everything has been satisfied. All has been done. And so what it says is, all your sin, it has been paid for. He has been raised for your justification. There's another reason, I think, guys, that that the resurrection is important to us in terms of our own assurance. And the reason I think it's important is because of our fear of death. We all fear death. um, It it, it seems to belong to the human race, a fear of death. Well, the resurrection is is an an evidence that, um, that death has been conquered. And um, I, I think as death approaches us, um, we get more shook about our safety. And death, the, at least the pale or the shadow of death, seems to raise doubts about our own salvation. 
But the resurrection tells me that, first of all, it tells me that God is pleased with the work that his son has done for me. But secondly, it tells me it's the, it's the final proof that, um, that the last enemy, that death, has been overcome, that, that, that death has been defeated. You know, it's interesting. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, where death is defined as the last enemy. <laughs> it is. It's the last enemy. But there's victory over it. And it's victory that is proclaimed to you in this whole idea of his resurrection. So that's why um, the resurrection is a vital and integral part of your whole own sense of assurance. It's a declaration that God is pleased and accepts what the Son has done. And it is a proof that indeed death will not hold you. It will not keep you. It can't. Because death is the payment for sin and there won't be any associated with you. Now, the apostle goes on. Um, He says uh, that, that he was raised. But then he says, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Now, guys, there's two things that are mentioned there. Um, They are called, um, uh, well, he's seated at the right hand of God, which is called the session of Christ, that he is seated. And then, of course, the intercession is mentioned. We're going to come to both of these before we're finished with this text. But, guys, he's mentioned his death and the resurrection, uh, and then he, he skips to the session and the intercession. And, but there's a couple of things skipped in here. One of the things that's skipped is the ascension, which we're going to look at in a second. But there's another thing that's, that's, um, that's skipped, um, and that is this three days between the death and the resurrection. <laughs> um, what was going on in those three days? Boy, the Bible doesn't say much. But there's this very strange, bizarre statement in 1 Peter 3 about he went and preached to the saints in prison. You ever heard of that? Guys, um, how many of you were raised in environments that quoted the Apostles' Creed? I mean, uh, didn't the Methodist Church do that? Is that where I learned that? I know. Um, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. What's the next sentence? What? See there? You see? Oh, we got a division in the house. What did you say, Walt? No, that's not what you said. I thought you said something else. What did you say? What did you say, Eric? He descended into hell. What did you say, Lorraine? He arose. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's got another statement in his Apostles' Creed that you don't have. <laughs> How many of you were raised in environments with the Apostles' Creed that has that he descended into hell in there? Look at it. See there? And, and, and the others of you that were raised in the Apostles' Creed and didn't have it in there. How about you? Lorraine, you're the only one. <laughs> no, Eric was. Um, guys, there's this statement in there about he descended into hell. What is that? Well, it comes from that 1 Peter 3.19 passage that he went and preached the gospel of the saints in prison. Now, uh, this is kind of an aside, but let me just chase it for real quickly. Do we believe that Jesus descended literally into the place called hell? Well, there'd be some that would. I wouldn't be one of those. 
I would say to you that when the, when the son is hanging on the cross and he is saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He is at that moment experiencing the essence of hell. Because that's what hell is. It's the separation from the Father. Um, but but that's, that's at three days between the death and the resurrection. And then after the resurrection, this thing and an ascension occurs. And I want you to see it because we don't talk much about this. And uh, Go to Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> because he ascends before he sits. Um, all right, but before we look at Acts chapter 1, guys, I don't know whether you're interested in stuff like this, but in, theologic, in a theological world, the life of Jesus Christ is broken up basically into two halves. The entire existence of Jesus Christ is broken up into two halves. The first half has to, comes from his conception to his death, and that is called his humiliation. Um, at the moment that um, that a female ovum was was fertilized and it became a human cell, the the humiliation of Christ began, and that humiliation continues all the way, the whole thing, all of it, folks. That stuff about you know, uh, not just his the death on the cross is his humiliation. No. Walking the streets of Palestine and getting uh, uh, spit on by uh, Jewish audiences and all of that. You know, sitting down at the Sermon on the Mount and, and articulating that glorious sermon. That was a part of his humiliation. This is a statement of the, of the, on the part of the Son when he says, My meat and my drink is to do the will of my Father. Well, that's it, folks. Humiliation. The will of the Father is that He would be humiliated. And His humiliation begins right there. That He would reduce Himself to a human cell. Now, the other half of His cross begins after the death at His resurrection all the way through eternity. Which is called His... No, it's exaltation. Exaltation. Now, but guys... There are steps from here to here. The resurrection, the ascension, the session, and the intercession. Now, all I'm saying is, if, if these things are a part, if that's a part of his exaltation, it at least ought to deserve two or three minutes of our time, don't you think? <laughs> that was my point. Uh, Acts chapter 1. Um, let's begin reading at verse 8, Acts 1.8. But you'll receive power, and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will, you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, here we go. As they were looking on, he was lifted up. There it is. That's about all you get in the New Testament concerning his ascension. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That is a mention or the mention of his ascension. I want you to read 
Two more verses with me. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now this next sentence is pretty important in terms of how you sort out your own eschatology. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, look at this sentence, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, would you like to know something about the second coming? Then learn something about the ascension. Because the way you saw him go up is the way he's going to come down. In the same way that you just saw and witnessed and watched him go up, you can expect him to return just that way. So what does that mean exactly? I'll tell you a couple things it means. It means that there's a physical second coming. If he left with a body, it's a glorified one, but he's going to return with a body as well. Uh, That means it's a visible thing. It means it comes from top down. I mean, think of an ascension, these words, and he was lifted up out of their sight. Whatever is there is what you can expect on the return. That's why I wanted to take you to the ascension, guys, is that we learn something about the end by learning something about the ascension. Okay? Now, uh, having said all that, um, now, after the, uh, the ascension comes the session. Now, some of you may, this may be a new term for, gosh, may be a new term for a, a lot of you. Um, uh Um, we ain't going to have time. Um, let, me, let me tell you something about the right hand. I'll tell you what. Um, um, because, guys, this, this whole idea, for instance, um, Jesus Christ occupies three offices. What are they? Atta girl, prophet, priest, and king. How does he... How does he exercise his role as prophet? He speaks. <laughs> he speaks that which is the, the very mind of God. How does he exercise his role as king? <laughs> Did y'all hear that? <laughs> that came straight from Jackson, Mississippi, folks. <laughs> um, uh, say it again, Jeff. There you go. That's Jesus as king. Now, here's the point. How does he perform his role as priest? That's part of it. But that's only part of it. And, ladies and gentlemen, that's a vital part to me and you. But it's not the big deal to the Father. Because when the, when the Son exercises his role as priest, He is making his moves before the Father. And that is being done right as this session occurs. The Son brings something before the Father. And that's what we've got to look at. That's that's really one of the major themes of the book of Hebrews. We'll look at that next week. But guys, he brings something in there to the Father 
satisfies the father, and the father says, It is the position of cosmic authority. When the Son of... Oh, there's so much you could say about this, guys, but when the Son of Man... This great passage that you all love so much, and you rightly should, and Grace of Man is all about it. It's called the Great Commission. You remember how it starts, don't you? Jesus says, go make disciples. No, it doesn't start like that. Uh, baptize a lot of people. No, it doesn't start like that either. It starts like this. All authority in heaven and on earth is given unto me. Now, go get them. Ladies and gentlemen, far more important than you going to get them is the recognition that residing in the palms of Jesus' hand is all authority in heaven and earth. Where does he get that? He gets that because he is seated at the right hand of God the Father in a place of cosmic authority where everything does his bidding. You remember Psalm 110, verse 1? He says... Um, the, 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 um, the statement is made to the coming Messiah. It says, sit here at my right hand. What's the next line? Psalm 110.1 Until I bring all of your enemies beneath your feet. That's the reign of the one who has completed his work. But we're going to have to go back next week and look a little bit further at the priestly part out of the book of Hebrews because it's really, it's really a beautiful. You know, some images just absolutely overpower the eye. Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, they simply overpower the eye. We'll look at it next week. Let's go. Our Father, we, we are grateful for all that you've done for us in Christ. And yet, this passage, so lengthy and detailed, is designed by a father who loves his children and wants them to know of their Savior. Just that is enough to demonstrate that God is love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks and good night.